This is Joseph Gervasi. I'm here with Andrew Martini, Miles Donovan, a.k.a. Miles of Destruction, and Man Ovarth. And this is part of Loud Fast Philly. Uh, we're conducting this interview on the 23rd of December, 2018. And we're doing the interview at Cinder Garden in West Philadelphia. Uh, this is the first interview in a while, so uh, if you are a person who listens to the interviews, uh, welcome back. Uh, they will continue indefinitely, um, but at no fixed rate. Um, and for the purpose of clarity, uh, for, for this interview, I'm going to use queer as sort of a generally defining term for uh, queer. Uh, so rather than using or trying to employ a long, awkward acronym that is inclusive of, of many people, I think that queer is no longer a pejorative term and kind of works well enough for what we're discussing. So we'll use that as a, as a catch-all term. Um, anyways, uh, what I'd like to do uh, with the three gentlemen here is, uh, and there's a trolley, um, uh, speak with each of them individually and then we'll bring everybody in for a discussion of uh, queer punk in the 90s and then moving forward into the present. Uh, so we're going to begin with Andrew Martini, uh, and Andrew is, is here on my left. Uh, Andrew. Um, hi. Hi. It's good to see you after a while. Likewise, likewise. Uh, what year were you uh, born and where? Uh, 73 in Philly. Right. Yeah. Uh, so tell me a little bit about young Andrew. Um, like, What was the neighborhood like that you grew up in? What were your interests as a young man? Oh, I mean, uh, I grew up in Chestnut Hill, uh, which wasn't exactly where I felt that was a very interesting place to be once I was in teenage years. I guess you know, you need me to skip over, skip over all those years between. Well, we'll, know, do, we'll do a, we'll do a little early, Andrew. I mean, prior, okay. prior to coming into punk and into yeah. the, you know the identity that you now inhabit, what, what were your interests as, as a as a kid or a, especially a young person? Hmm. I mean, I. Jeez, that's, that's, it's tough, actually, to kind of, like, really remember what I was uh, up to back then, because I think uh, anything I did before then, I just, just kind of blanked out on a lot just of that stuff. Generic kid, kid junk? Right. I mean, you know, nothing crazy. I wasn't, like, into, like, group sports or, like, anything that was uh, significant or whatever. Uh, so, yeah, I didn't do much, to be honest. Well, what were then the, what were the little seeds that wound up growing into moving you sure. into a more you know deviant direction towards the the world of punk and then all of the stuff that was going on you know, here in the in the city? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so one of the big things, like definitely, uh, my mother wanted both me and my brother to play some kind of instrument, right? And uh, you know, being a kind of I don't know what the hell I want to do kind of kid, I just, just my mom's like, oh, play the piano. I was like, okay, we'll play the piano, sure, whatever. So I took piano lessons and did stuff like that, as did my brother. And uh, eventually, over time, I kind of thought, I mean, I definitely liked rock-type music. So uh, I kind of was getting bored with piano and playing like classical stuff. Uh, not that I was very good, but uh, uh, playing guitar seemed way cooler, mm -hmm. you know. So I switched to guitar lessons, and uh, that was great. I loved that, you know. and. Um, did that for years, and at some point in high school was when I actually met some people and were like, yeah, we should do a band, you know? Um, so that was when 
everything was changing for me for sure. I was like, oh, this is great. I want to do this. <laughs> you know what I mean? So the initial bands, the rock bands, or were you? was this any kind of, uh, it was punk music or something? Well, embarrassingly, one of the first bands I was doing involved some ska, but, you know, we don't need to get yeah, too into know, that. These things have happened. Yeah, yeah. So my buddy Mike and I, I mean, we both liked... You know, music we would like sit around and listen to. We would be listening to like Bad Brains and like. Is this Mike McKee? No, yeah, a different, different Mike. Way yeah. before then, lots of mics in my life. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, there is a. We would sit around and listen to like, yeah, like besides rock music, but like the hardcore stuff. We listen to like you know Circle Jerks and Bad Brains. And well, stuff so like where that. does the, where does this come into? But then I mean, we also listen to ska. Where, where does where does the punk initially come from then? Um, man, it's tough because I I really just was kind of interested in punk and any music that I'd heard I just was I, I knew that that was I liked the aggression and energy of, of all the music so it just always appealed to me any that was like the harder edge music you know um, yeah and that's pretty much it and I just wanted to be a part of it you know I finding any way to like go to shows or play music with friends I mean I didn't know you know how hard it was to like find out about stuff back then if you're like a I don't know how old was I like 15 and 14 year old kid like finding out about a punk show you it was hard to figure that stuff out it's, yeah this would be what the late 80s yeah 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 so we're talking like uh in high school yeah so we're talking like 89 88 something like that like you know how do you even find any of that stuff anywhere right so you meet some people in high school and like someone knows of a thing yeah like some weird show happening somewhere and you're like yeah let's go to that cool you know did you go to That's Central? How it started. I went to Central, yeah. Oh, damn. Yeah. Smart kids. <laughs> <laughs> I guess. Uh, but considering, I think, I think my class, when they started out, there was more, maybe like 670 kids, and then uh, that one class, and then by the time the people were graduating in 12th grade, a good 150 of them had been shaved off. So, uh, yeah, that happens, yeah. I don't know. I never really thought it was super hard. I felt like there's parts of it that are probably really challenging, but uh, I felt like it was pretty easy to kind of skate through there if you just kind of show up. And, mm -hmm. But I don't know, maybe I had some weird advantage I'm not acknowledging. But anyways. So what about identity as, as queer man? Um, you know, as a young person, when do you get the, the inklings that, you know, your, your interests are perhaps somewhat different than, than most of those around you or the greater society or something like that yeah oh I mean definitely when I was younger I had those feelings but I didn't know you know what to do uh, or I didn't even acknowledge them really and it wasn't really until even in high school I mean there was no one who was out at my high school who there just wasn't a thing mm -hmm. did you feel um, that there was any kind of a level or layer of hostility around you that you felt that if you had expressed anything like that that you would have been met with an act of resistance I felt that, but I don't know if it was necessarily true. Uh, I can, it's hard to say because I wasn't in a position that was really unsafe and I don't think, think that maybe even I felt for my safety in any way, but I was still terrified of coming out just because I was worried about just being, you know, shunned or disowned or whatever. You know? Did you think that your parents would react negatively to that? I thought they would, yeah. And not necessarily like kicking me out of the house, like, out on the street kind of thing, but I thought something bad would happen, so I was just afraid to even acknowledge that, you know. And basically, like, all through high school, I just just pretended I wasn't gay. I mean, it just, I didn't come out at all, so. Did you date girls? I dated you, girls, yeah, yeah, for more than more than a minute, you know, and mm -hmm. it's just like, uh, 
Did you date Juliana? Yes. She was like this mythical punk rock girl I would hear from like like a distance. I never actually met her, but like I, I yeah. just heard about her all the time. So we didn't really honestly. We didn't kind of. It's kind of weird. It's we didn't really date so much as like that was sort of at the end of me completely coming out when I started like she wanted to like hang out with me and stuff. Um, I dated her sister years before this. So that makes it even more complicated, right? Wow. Yeah. When I was like in like, and by dating, I mean, you know, whatever that is when you're in eighth grade, you know. You go uh, to the mall or something? Yeah. I mean, you know, it's like we would occasionally hang out and then go home and, you know, whatever. <laughs> Parents are always close by, you know, so uh, there was nothing crazy going on there. But it's just like, yeah, I dated her sister. And then like years later, I was at some party with her. And I mean, I distinctly remember this, like she was like, we were talking for a while, and she was like, oh, can I kiss you? And I was kind of like, um, I'm gay. <laughs> was, was that your first real declaration of... Um, one of the very first, one of the very first, yeah. <laughs> it was just one of those things, and she was kind of like, oh, like, because I think at that time we were at a party with maybe some of my, one of my bandmates, and she's like, oh, does such and such know? And I was like, no, I never really told anybody. She was like, okay. <laughs> it was good. just one of those things. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty funny, but it's just one of those things I was like, okay, this is where I have to draw the lines. Like, you know, you're like, I've been kind of like floating through putting this off, but when someone's like, hey, can I make out with you right now? You're like, <laughs> shut it down. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, right, exactly. You're like, okay, I got to do something about this. And then, <laughs> Maybe now's a good time to let that out. From there, did you go through more of a, of a process of beginning to start to tell people and, you know, yes. come forward with your identity? And yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And, you know, each time you do it, it got a little easier too. The first one or two, you're just like, oh my God, how's this gonna go? You have absolutely no idea. And then after a few people react positively or neutral, you're like, okay, that's not so bad, I can do this again. Yeah. You kind of get the courage to do it a few more times, I think. Yeah. So um, you didn't meet any major resistance then through that initial process? No, no. And uh, yeah, everything was good. And I was, I, you know, in retrospect, I didn't really need to be surprised because a lot of people hung out in the punk scene all had progressive ideas about everything and I don't know why I even was scared, you know. I wasn't hanging out with people who were going to like take me around back and beat me up. Like, what the hell, you know. I didn't yeah, know what yeah. I was thinking, but it just felt that way, you know. I, I guess that's just the greater society pressure where you're just like, this is such a, you know, not exactly welcome thing. Um, you know, and I eventually told my mom and then I think I waited an entire another year to tell my dad because I was just like, not sure. And he actually reacted not positively. Were they, were they divorced? No, they're together. Oh, they're so together. You told her and she I, just didn't tell him? Yeah. Yeah, she's like, I, I don't know if I told her not to or she asked me if I wanted to. And I just kind of like, oh, let's wait a minute, you know. Um, but it was like seriously like a year later, probably when I was like, I think I told my mom when I was like 20. Mm -hmm. And I told my mom, my dad when I was like 21, maybe. And they were okay? My dad was a little bit, you know. He actually, I mean, I remember it very distinctly. He said, well, I can't say that I'm happy with it, but okay. And then, like, several months later, he apologized. He was like, that was a really stupid thing to say. I'm sorry. And I was like, oh, that's really nice, you know. Like, couldn't ask for a better reaction to that, really. Yeah, yeah. But his initial reaction was just sincere. He was just like, oh, man, like, that sucks, you know. <laughs> you know. And how's this sat with him over the years? I mean, because oh, that's quite some time ago, so now. Long you know, time ago, yeah. yeah. It's ancient history, you know. Yeah. It's not really anything that comes up except my mom would be like, oh, are you dating anybody now? I'm like, oh, okay, just curious. <laughs> uh, has she seen Limp Wrist perform? I mean, it was just mentioned that you're in a very prominent 
gay hardcore band yeah. that sometimes has interesting outfits and other yes, so yes. <laughs> they had they seen pictures or Yeah, yeah, pictures and uh, I think I've shown them some video stuff too, but they've never been to a show. Right. What um, what do they think of that? It's not their thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I could believe that. It, yeah, if you can believe that my uh, you know, my my seventy some year old mom isn't super into limits. <laughs> yeah. uh, not that age is really the thing that decides that. Yeah. My mom sort of would rather probably listen to like Edith Piaf than just maybe NPR or something like that. You know? Yeah. So yeah. it's she's not uh, she's not you know going to be listening to to Limbrist ever really. But I I asked her a couple times when there was a, a show like oh do you want to come to the show and she's kind of like oh maybe you know but so you don't have to because I know she doesn't want to be like standing up at a hot sweaty gig in the church basement for hours you know I don't blame her that's. Yeah. Not exactly something I would put my mom through. So yeah, it's like, hey, we can it's we can look at some videos online, and you can yeah. There's probably other stuff that you as a family could do. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't reject your identity, but at the same time, doesn't have mom having someone jump on her head or something. Right, right. So that's yeah, for the best. I mean, mom, like my mom's familiar with everything. You know, um, one of my old bands, Desucks, uh, even had some band practices at at the house because. While I was living in Center City once, we didn't have a place to practice. And I was just like, oh, Mom, can I use like my bedroom to have band practice? She's like, okay, yeah, whatever. So like, we'd all just drive out there and practice because it was cheaper than get renting a space. Man, or whatever. We didn't want to spend like 20 bucks to rent a space or whatever it was, you know? Man. So, yeah, they're familiar with it. They were very tolerant and obviously nice enough to put up with hearing DeSucks play in my house <laughs> for that's a couple rough. hours. I mean, geez, I think about that. I'm like, fuck. They were considerate as fuck, you know? That's crazy. Um, so, yeah, and what else? Like, they, my mom even had come by, she saw Stalag 13 before, where, you know, Tony and I spent lots of time. Yeah. Just one time she was, like, swinging by my house and, uh, dropping something off, and she's just like, oh, <laughs> this is the dump. Yeah, you know, something I should have, uh, have all of you kind of explain is that when I do the interview, sometimes I'll ask somebody to talk about a space that, you know, we're all going to be familiar with, but we have to assume that it person listen is from you know potentially another country or sure yeah. yeah world so if you could just explain a little bit and this has been touched on in, in other interviews but yeah what was Stalag 13 and you know what did it look like smell there's a like whole, what was a whole the... documentary that explains it a brief brief documentary but... yeah yeah uh well if you want to give your your view of uh Stalag yeah um, yeah yeah no um it it was uh great but it was our you know we wanted to have a space where uh bands you know, both touring and local could just have a space to play where there was just kind of, you know, very open, non-clubby kind of environment and uh, and have a regular thing there. And I mean, that guy, Mikey, the guy named Mikey Brosnan started it um, with uh, some of my old bandmates were living there, like Jay from this band to Socks that I used to do. And uh, later, like after years of other people booking me and Tony Pointless uh, took over doing that for who who owned the space? It wasn't owned. It was I so mean, it was just, there was just a landlord. It was a rented, rented place. Yeah. Believe it or not, it's yeah. just a rented place. It's it's, it's essentially a garage, yeah. right? Yeah, it was a garage, and it has a big garage door in the front. It's right on Lancaster Avenue, right next to like Kill Time and Fake House, and these other places that have been there for years. And Stolly was kind of in between the two of them, oddly enough, uh, kind of 
crazy that that happened, but I guess that was a good spot for making loud music that people didn't care about too much. So yeah. And what did that, if you explain to people listening, what was the neighborhood like at that time? And maybe you could contrast a little bit to what the neighborhood is like now, which is... It would be hard for me to contrast what it's like now, because I haven't really checked it out, to be honest. It's not a gym there. now, I heard. I heard it was a gym, yeah. Like, yeah. I, I know the neighborhood's tamed a lot over time, but uh, I mean, back then it was kind of in this sort of overflow of... I guess mostly Drexel kids were like living around there. Uh, what was the neighborhood like? I don't know. It it was fine. It was just how how do, how do I even explain what West Philly was like in the nineties? I don't know. Well, I guess we'll actually all get it's into that. We'll, uh, we'll get into some Philly stuff once we pull everybody in together. So okay, we'll, sure, we'll move sure. over to uh, Miles. Uh, so, <laughs> so so. Uh, <laughs> Uh, where were you born, and in what year? I was born in 1979, and I, um, my family roots actually go back as far as like the the Great Depression here on, on the Lithuanian side. Um, but I grew up in pretty much where Northern Liberties turns into Fishtown, uh, right across the street from the Spring Garden Bell Stop. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was a very it's very different area around then. Um, my mother got our first row house for $2,000 cash and had steel over the windows. What, what year did she buy that? Like 78, mm-hmm. something like that. Like, um, so it was just before you were born. It was just before I was born. And my parents were like kind of weird, like bohemian types. Like my, um, my dad, um, it was kind of like, I, I never really clear if my dad like dropped out of college or like failed out because of drugs or, or what the deal was exactly. But he, uh, he, walked into a violin repair shop in Center City and was like, hey, I want an apprentice here. I've never done this. And the guy was like, sure. And like, <laughs> wow. yeah, so like he, and he's like, he's a musician. He's always played in like blues bands. And um, like, I kind of grew up partially in that, that bar, the Barbary, because mm-hmm. um, he used to be in an old blues bar that was like on the first floor. And then they had like a, a lesbian bar on the second floor called the first salon for a period. Do you remember that? No. That's yeah. Cool. yeah. They had like a, like a straight cats pinball game and like all kinds of like weird. Anyway, it was like being a little kid and hanging out in the bar, like this kind of thing. Um, my mother grew up on an Island, uh, called Kwajalein in the Pacific that was like extremely small, but she got really into doing like textiles. So she's always been very good at like fashion design and she's a librarian. She worked for Temple. She worked for Hahnemann. She worked for like, all the college she worked for more for a period she worked at uh what is that art museum where they completely scramble the the display oh it's the uh art of the steel what what's 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 the fucking there's a documentary film about it oh oh yeah the uh the barnes barnes Barnes. yeah she worked at barnes until they they decided her position was obsolete and fired her he librarians um Mm -hmm. But yeah, Northern Liberties was, was really weird to grow up around then because it was like also like, uh, it was very industrial. Um, there was a big crack cocaine problem. There wasn't enough of a family uh, population there to really warrant even having a grocery store that would be open after 6 p.m. So we got most of our groceries in Fishtown. Mm-hmm. Um, we had a cereal arsonist. There was lots of abandoned buildings. Um, the building behind my house was uh, set on fire and basically burned to the ground uh, very early on and um, became my backyard, mm-hmm. like, quote-unquote, like, because the, the lot was never claimed by a landlord. So it was just a burned-out lot that was It was here. a burned-out lot, and yeah. just, like, you know, eventually, like, we, we set up, like, a little basketball thing with, like, you know, like, and um, at one point later on, we actually had, like, uh, archaeologists dig out that lot, and uh, it was full of, like, 
privy pits, which are like old like colonial oh, wow. toilets, yeah. you know, like. And it was kind of crazy because they just like they dug it, they dug it out, and they were just immediately like, pulling like all these like antique china dolls and like teapots and broken meat bottles and shit out of my lawn. And it was no just, kidding. Like, yeah, wow. it was super weird. Yeah. Um, the house that my family moved into was originally owned um, by a gay couple who died of AIDS, um, and I remember. When I was a teenager, we tore the walls out of the kitchen, and there was this poem on one of the pillars written in, it was like pencil, and it said something like, Tom and Bob, gay lovers, we love to suck and fuck each other. And this is like, I was just like, this is like on the wall of my childhood home. Wow. I didn't even know. Yeah. That's, there was other, that's amazing. It was crazy. Like, but we had like, we had gay neighbors across the street, and they also died by the time I was like 15. Like, it was like a very like, which I think about now is like, that did affect me psychologically in a weird way, and then it was like, all the peripheral examples of people like me were basically dying in their like late twenties, early thirties, like of the same disease. And it was a very palpable thing. So at the time when you were seeing all these people dying around you, did you, you had then the knowledge of your identity as, Oh yeah. And like a very, I think in the very like, like, uh, unconscious sense, I sort of, I mean, it kind of showed up later in like self-destructive behavior. Like, but I also was just like, that's going to happen to me. Like, that's just like, and it's also like, you got to take into account of just like, this is a time when like being gay was only discussed on, you know, talk shows and stuff. And it was synonymous with the disease. Like it was very much like, just like it was like, queer was not a term so much, you know, like it's, you know, um, I ended up going to high school and my, I went to the grade school in South Philly. I went to high school in uh, my own neighborhood. Um, closer to the fish town. My brother was a mummer. I come from a long line of mumming men. Wait, which high school did you go to? I went to Bodine. Oh, Bodine. Yeah. And it was like, I got into Kappa. I got into the boys to men high school and for writing. And I was just like, Oh my God. And then like, I was like intimidated by the size of it or something. And I heard Bodine was smaller and it was closer and it was like the worst. <laughs> like, why did I do this to my life? Kind of thing. Cause I, I just had this high school. It's like a magnet high school, but it technically was like, you know, it specialized in international affairs. Like the year that I started, we had the budget cuts, the, the vouchers got cut. And it's just like, instead of having like something like eight foreign languages, we had like the usual bracket of like, you know, French, Spanish, Latin. I think we had Mandarin. Like that was like the most you know, kind of out there language that we had. What did you take? Was like, I took Mandarin very briefly. And then my mom was like, don't take that language. And I was just like, She's like, you'll never use it. Take French. So I took French <laughs> instead. I'm like, what the fuck? And I still remember more. As did like, I. <laughs> yeah, well, I remember more for like one day of like like Mandarin that I think I absorbed in like four years of French. Like, you know. Yeah. I still regret not dropping out of high school. <laughs> like, it's just, it was just a big waste of time. I don't know. Oh, man. So did you feel compelled as, as a young person to pass as not being gay? amongst the people you were around oh, that, and when did you come to the process then of, of I mean it was like I mean, it was very like yeah I mean I, I knew that there were people in my family that would not be tolerant of it uh, what about your parents did you, did you feel that they would be alright or they were like my mom was okay with it roughly like uh, my dad took some time to come around uh, I, you mentioned the whole sounds familiar yeah, yeah I know, the, the speech that you have to your father like I just remember like I, I had like sort of the way I the way I came out was actually like really involuntarily because uh, I had a, a my first boyfriend actually threatened to kill himself when we broke up and wrote me a letter and uh, I had it in the pants that I was wearing and my mother was doing my laundry and found it 
So it's a very dark, like, oh boy, like, mm-hmm. okay, kind of thing. Oh, so that she, sucks. Yeah, she kind of freaked out, and my dad didn't talk to me for a little bit, and then started talking to me again, and then basically it was like, let's go for a walk, and like, it was just like, I'm sorry, been like a rough excuse for a father, like all this stuff, which I appreciated, like on some level, in the same way that like, what you mentioned, and like, yeah, where they're like, you know, trying to own it, even if they don't have like quite the vocabulary, or like the framework for it, you know. Yeah. Um, you also never want like that. It's it's things that happens not on your terms in that case because they she found the note in your yeah in your pants and that's one of the things you're like uh well I got it out of the way early which I'm grateful that's for. that's true but one thing I did I mean like I did do so what what year I mean how old were you around that time like you say fourteen or fifteen yeah, yeah, so that's pretty yeah, like it's pretty young but I also was like I was already having sex by that point like I remember it was like the early days of the internet like it was like BBS system so it was like this graphicless thing and I I would do like really like I'm kind of glad that in a weird way that like I did get out of young because it made my parents more protective of me like they had a um my parents had a friend who actually was a male friend in college who was raped and killed um they found his body at 17th and Spring Garden wow um when they were yeah when they were going to the community um so like I think on some level like they're they're conscious of that and they suddenly became like I've had like kind of most of my life the, the polar opposite of helicopter parents they're like sick takes after the grade school like you know what junkies are like and there's like this it, it would be this whole thing and like it wasn't until like I actually was outed that suddenly they were like okay and like kind of like suddenly became very protective and I didn't find out until years later that that was probably a factor in it but one of the things I would do to go back was just like I there was a BBS system and I would go on there and I would communicate there's no graphics and I would talk to men on that and I would put myself in really dangerous situations where I'd be like come out to the suburbs to my like some weird like place that you've never been and take like the last train out here you know don't tell your family kind of thing and you get off and you'd be like you're like 35 like you so know, you would actually do it then. I would you do would, it and not tell my family like I would leave yeah. in the middle of the night and it's just suddenly be like oh god like well you got pills like you know just kind of like big like oh man so it just it was it was just rough it was, it's also weird like I think you probably both have had this experience where like you're like you're a teenager and like girls are into you or whatever but like it's not until like you actually like take the plunge all of a sudden or something like living in the world is like a gay man you know that like <laughs> it's something like all these old men want to have sex with you and it's like you don't have a reference point for that kind of thing. So it actually is kind of like a weird, like vulnerable period. I had somebody, Absolutely, yeah. I had somebody try and buy me from my mother once. Buy you? Actually, yes. What, what is that? Wow. Like, please explain this. Like I was like, we were getting a sewing machine. And how much? He <laughs> took out his wallet. Like I didn't actually count. Wait, so he felt like he had enough money in his wallet to buy you? Yes, that's rude. thirteen dollars. Here's the thing: like, was he shuffling in his pocket for? I actually like too? the first zine I ever did. I wrote about this experience. Like it was just like this, but like I was in Chinatown with my mother, uh-huh. and like we we're waiting for the bus because she was getting like a, a sewing machine repaired, and this is like when I had just like I'm like freshly punk. I got like my, my my Doc Martens on and shit, and I was like squatting against the wall, and. Um, this guy came up and he was just like, those are nice boots. Like, blah, blah, blah. And I'm just, just like, kind of like ignoring him and like, you know, and eventually stood up and he's like, well, I can have these boots. Like how much it cost for me to get my nuts up your ass? And I'm just kind of like, what? Wait, is your mother there? My mother's like right here. Yeah, yeah, like yeah, as far yeah, as yeah. mine yeah. is from me. And wow. she's just kind of sitting there watching this go down. And then he like took his hands and like, well, he's like, I was like, no, no, that's, that's all right. And then like, <laughs> like I'm up against the wall. He does one of these and they're just like, Drying up against the wall. Whoa! And my mother's sitting here. He's like, and he's just like, what? Yeah, he's like, I'm like, no, 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 no. Like, just like this weird, like, kind of like mortified, and this is 
awkward. You know, I'm like, oh, who's your new friend? No, basically, <laughs> like, because like, 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 I, I finally like pushed him off, and he's like, so you don't think I have money? I got money, like, blah blah blah, and just kind of thing. And then they like kind of like walked away, all dejected. And my mom just sat there for a second, and then she's like. So was that one of your friends? And I was just like, <laughs> oh, wait, she did do that. Yeah, like, she, you nailed it. Like, that's exactly what she said. I was just like, and I was like, no, mom, that was just a stranger trying to buy me. Never mind. Like, Could she have made like, more money pimping you than being a librarian? <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> Probably. She's like, librarian salary's not that great. You so. know, honey. Yeah, a few prime years there that went to You're work. 15. <laughs> you start pulling your own weight here. Oh, man, that's crazy. Yeah, it's, it's weird. Now, you mentioned it, and I don't like to, to probe too deeply into people's private issues in most of the interviews, but I think that when I think about something like this, I think of young people listening to these things who yeah. want to kind of understand other people's experiences because they're, you know, curious and want to, you know, place themselves in the world. So you mentioned that you had some uh, self-destructive behavior that was manifested when you were younger. Uh, could you talk a little bit about what, what that was? I mean, it was just kind of like a certain like level of like recklessness and that like caring about myself like I mean it's just like it's it's I you know it's it's I think it's hard to have a healthy self-esteem when that's like your exposure to a lot of things and like you have like chaos factors in your life like that um yeah I don't know I just like I I, I definitely like like I, I have been suicidal at different points in both as a teenager and as in my adulthood like it's been like a thing like um and it's if i want to get totally comfortable on a therapy couch like yeah like i mean i could see that all stemming from that um but also like i mean i do think about like this sometimes it's like in the context of like i didn't think about like how much like visible presence of aids in my neighborhood kind of affected me mentally yeah until like i got older and i was just like oh like that would make sense like if like if you're expecting to be dead by the time you're like 25 like you're not going to invest very much in yourself in some senses and you're going to be kind of reckless and like going to be like very impulsive and you know um it was just yeah i, I definitely feel like a lot of it like kind of stemmed out of that i had another point i just forgot but anyway did you feel that that threat of aids began to diminish as as years went on um i do think that i got kind of unconsciously involved in punk in a weird way to be like i want to escape gay doom mm-hmm. you know as i saw it during that time i mean yeah like over time like as, as my world broadened it was like i was meeting more people more more gay men more trans women like um people that just had different experiences and you know um older older gay men that were not creeps you know like were a big a big thing um i mean i still kind of think of myself as like i'm like i'm, I'm kind of an anomaly like i've been playing non-stop in bands for like 25 years i don't have a lot of people that have had like parallel stuff that are gay like you know and it's like so I'm always kind of like oh, I'm out there but like I've met enough like substantial people over the years so I'm like oh I can see myself aging and like this, this is not like something that's like this completely unheard of concept you know like for sure yeah I can see myself in older folks but it's important if you don't have that yeah you know that does affect the way that you age and the way that you play in your life it's hard to find your community especially when you're younger too I mean like I, I yeah. can definitely relate to you saying you were like on some online bulletin board system stuff trying to like find anybody to talk to yeah. because you had no one around you that you could even relate this one thing in your life that was kind of sitting on your shoulders, you know, and you're just like, uh, yeah, I don't know what to do about this. And you just go into the world. I think I probably eventually ended up on like, uh, some like AOL chat, like M for M Philly at some point. And there's like these, these like chat rooms that they had that would cap out about 20 people or something like that. And people would just go in there and be like, 
Hi. Hello? I'm Joe. The next person's like, are you talking about me? Sex location? <laughs> no, maybe you were on there. I don't know. <laughs> but you know, people would just, people would just, it was funny because like people just were like desperate for some way to interact with people and they're, cause they're closeted or not closeted and just trying to find other people. And there's really not too many different ways to do it. Like obviously there's bars and stuff like that. But then if you're, you know, when you're younger, that's not really an option for you. you know? yeah. I remember uh, we were on a trip one time with uh, it was with Doug and yeah. maybe Kathy and yeah, yeah, I think huh. we were in New Orleans mm-hmm. and staying at a place and I remember you went off one night yeah. to a bar and you know you were not at least not to me out as as a gay man so yeah. I was wondering why did Andrew just go off you know by himself to this place and I don't know what you know you were doing there but I just thought neither did I but yeah but so. was that like did you I don't know if you were even remember this because this was quite a few I years ago actually, but yeah, so did, yeah. had you gone off like to a gay bar or to a bar for that sort of a yeah I went to just try to I, I, I mean at that point I, mean, I knew I was gay and I was like oh I'm just gonna go you know there's some rainbow flags outside the bars here let me just go see what, what's going on here you know yeah and it was like creepy and weird and awkward and yeah. some guy tried to pull me in the back room and I was like oh yeah this sucks I don't want to do this <laughs> you, know? <laughs> you know it was like that I don't even remember exactly if I was what was I uh, what year was that time? Uh, I mean, maybe you were like in 2021, 20, something. I was gonna say, like, like it would have been yeah. early 20s. Yeah. I mean, I'm two years older than you. I was born in 71. Okay. And this was probably around 93 or so. Yeah, I was going to say probably like 92, 93. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. So that make, that's makes sense. So I was at that time, you know, looking for ways to interact with other people, but also had no idea what I was doing or if that's even was comfortable to me at all you know what I mean yeah. but yeah that was a funny night I definitely remember that <laughs> uh, yeah I never had any idea you know? oh really because yeah, okay. you when you I came back you didn't, you didn't really say anything about it and oh that's funny we just said oh I wonder where Andrew went and now he's back okay where, where was <laughs> really? I, didn't, yeah. I didn't remember yeah. that. it was funny like, it was just funny. At, we, you know with the group that we were with we kind of just did all the different things together so it, yes. was, it was unusual that one person would then just set out on their own but um, yeah that didn't even occur to me honestly at the time yeah. I don't even remember what I was thinking I was maybe just like yeah, who knows? Yeah. I wasn't like, I'm going to go creep out to this gay bar right now. <laughs> that wasn't even like on my thoughts. I was kind of just like, what am I, I'm going to wander and see what happens. You know, it's really weird to think about like how cruising is kind of dead now, unless it's like, yeah. in, in separate, like very like bracketed concepts because of like, like the frequency of like, you've got like apps and stuff like that. But they're just like, I felt like, I mean, also it's getting older, like, but like, it's also like, <laughs> when I was younger, I just thought it was just like, people would blatantly cruise yeah just way more like it was just like you get propositions just a lot more because it was just less of a like framework for like when it's appropriate to do it and like what the technology is available you know right yeah totally i just wanted to get into how you came into punk before we move on to mon i mean you've mentioned this and also you're a musician so did you start playing when you were young and when when did punk wind up i played i mean i played violin in grade school and uh did not follow it very far. Like violins were kind of always in my house because my dad was repairing them all the time. Um, he worked in like a tiny shop and did home repairs. So it's just like I was always kind of like, and I've always like actually many of the punk bands I've been in and metal bands and, and noise bands and they've always involved like some degree of like a viola or violin or a string quartet or like whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but not, not usually within punk though. Not I mean, usually I mean, that's the punk. unusual. Well, for me, it made sense because it was yeah. just like, it's just around. Yeah. Like, and there's other people who were just like, why would you form like a grindcore band without a guitarist and put a classically trained violinist in? Like, why would you do that? Like, <laughs> but, but of course. And I'm like, oh, why wouldn't you? Um, no, but they're just like, I, you know, I just, 
I started off with, it's kind of funny, like my dad is, is a musician, he's like a, he plays like blues music and like he started me off, like, like it was really encouraging me to play guitar and like I tried really hard to learn guitar and I was not a good guitar player um, and I always wanted to be a bass player. I remember him saying something to me along the lines of he's just like, you know, like when you were like 13 years old, I was like, it's going to be a guitarist. Like, 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 and, um, and he's like, but then, you know, by the time we were 14, you were like so goddamn tall. Like, I just knew you were going to be a bass player. So, I don't know. I got, it's not always a prerequisite for bass players. I guess. There's some short bass players out there. Your brother. <laughs> yeah. I know some, some great short bassists. But yeah. Like, there is a stereotype. Yeah, there is. Like, it's weird. Um, no, and then I, I kind of like, but the, the answer to like the, the ways I got kind of involved in punk, I mean, it just kind of was like, um, like if you told me when I was young and I was like hanging out with my dad's friends on the boat and like they were like listening to like Queen songs and being like, oh, I'm just a faggot singing in a rock band, like kind of thing. Like I just remember like, I would have been like, fuck this, fuck this, like fuck this, like fuck rock music, fuck like, you know, I got, I got my Captain Beefheart and Cindy Lauper records and I'm fine, fine, you know, like, but fucking, um. I, I feel like it was just like, like when I, I had a, one of my friends in high school was like this like black punk girl and she was dating this like white hair metal guy from New Jersey. He had like feathered hair and the whole thing. And I remember like, it was weird, but like <laughs> he had several terror tapes that I borrowed and I never, to this day, I think I still have them, like old cassette versions of like schizophrenia. And like, um, I remember getting really into that because then I was just like, oh, metal doesn't have to be like dick and pussy party music like it can also be like this kind of trollish emotion and negativity like okay i'm in like this makes sense to me now and then around that time i was also like uh one of my first boyfriends like made me a mixtape and it was like one side was like uh babes in toylands uh to mother and the other side was like a huggy bear record and like i just remember being like this is pretty fucking cool i like screaming you know um but yeah so my intro to philadelphia punk it's kind of weird because they just like i felt like for for a period in Philadelphia, like it seemed like the bars were all kind of run by, it looked like the same person almost, like, and it just seemed like a very gay, that, like, and I, I knew in my head, I was like, there's got to be like, you know, I was, I was like a Cub Scout at like Old Pine Community Center, and I knew that they had hardcore shows then, or had at like some point. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was just like, it's like, it has to exist like somewhere in the city, I don't know where it is, and it's weird, I don't know how this ended up happening, but I remember that like, I ended up at Wooden Shoe Bookstore, uh, for some reason, I don't remember why. It was like when it was on like twentieth and Walnut or twelfth and Walnut. You had to walk downstairs. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Which was like one of the yeah, first twentieth like Street. Twentieth yeah. Street, and then we were going downstairs and being like, "Typical Raymond Street." Like, think that experience has not changed to this day. It was like snotty kid at the counter doesn't want to talk to you. It was like totally rude and like, oh, like, you know. And I walked in, but I was just like, I I found a copy of uh, No Longer a Fanzine, and that was like one of my first windows into kind of like just this whole punk world that didn't have a very like solid like rigid framework of just like like Johnny Rotten kind of like shit like this because in my head I was like I don't even know if I like punk like it seems like a lot like classic rock to me you know like mm-hmm. kind of the same old shit and like but like I thought the interviews were really interesting I remember like there were all these like random life photos of bands and like like I was like try what the fuck is this you know the shit and like <laughs> um and then I started learning about Andrew because I saw like, like you were in like all these weird road trip photos and stuff and then like I ended up on through the same creepy PBS system that I was like fucking old man on the internet I ended up on like Andrew's <laughs> Philadelphia punk list. Oh yeah, right. Thing yeah. that used to go out. That was kind of like the big my my little Unix, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. list. I mean, it was important. <laughs> I was how I found out about shows. I remember like I mean I remember the night that I met you because I was like, uh, 
upstairs it was kind of pretty much like the first like kind of punk show that i went to it was like oh and upstairs and nicks i went upstairs and nicks and it was like they didn't it was the first show that i ever went to that like it was like is that but that was the butt trumpet it was show, a butt trumpet right? show yeah. and like and like i remember it was like it was the first show i'd ever been to because i've been to like cockadero shows and stuff like that and seen like melvin's or something and like it'd be like but there's always this giant barrier and it's the first time i was just like whoa the stage is like lower than this coffee table this yeah. is crazy i remember like the, one of the bands was like, like come up stage and sing and just like grabbing i was like okay like i'm doing this like i can do this i can scream like you this is great like this common sense <laughs> i remember that right? yeah it was like i was yeah. super it was just like i was i mean it was just like i don't participate i don't care if i suck let's just do it yeah, that's like, when i met you at that show yeah funny, yeah it was like and uh yeah i just like and then i just kind of like followed uh i followed andrew's bands i i followed the listserv i just like kind of networked out from that I did a fanzine for a period. The same fanzine that talked about the weird story about like someone trying to buy me from my mother. Like I was just like put that out kind of blindly into the world and like started like networking with different people across the United States. Learned more of like a queer core thing. Um, when I was a teenager, I used to play like Dungeons and Dragons by myself. And <laughs> how is it possible? Is, like, it's one of the most schizophrenic <laughs> things you could possibly do because you're like a god and wow. a mortal at the same time. You know, yeah. like but. <laughs> There was like one time I was in, I used to go to Third Street Jazz and Rock and like cut high school there all the time because the guy was really nice and didn't really care. Um, and I just remember being down there one time and there was like a, a seven inch for that band, uh, Michael Teo Fairies, oh, yeah. uh, special rights. And I, I read like the, the Dungeons and Dragon nerd in me like pulled that out and was like, I know this. This is like an 80s game module that somebody uses an album cover. Like, all right. Like, and then I read the lyric sheet and I was like, whoa, this is crazy. Like, yeah. So that's how I got involved. Hi, Mon. Thirsty Jazz and Rock was a, a great place to hang out. It was yeah. a wonderful place. And down in the basement, there was all the flyers on the wall. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Steps. I remember that fondly. Yeah, I look at certain records on my shelf sometimes, and I'll remember that I bought them there. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's indelibly stamped in my head, like where certain things came from, and that place, and for me, uh, Philadelphia Records Exchange right, was another big one. Yeah, totally. Uh, I think I got some stuff at Chaos Records for, I don't know if... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that place wasn't around that long. Yeah. Uh, but you're probably the only one actually is old enough who would have like had... Yeah, I would buy some fleeting random stuff at some of the stores that were on South Street back then. Yeah, you know that guy's dead. Uh, no. Yeah, he was uh, he was someone I wanted to interview, but uh, has since died. Uh-huh, he okay. lived a reclusive and miserable life. Uh-huh. As a, Did Skin stop records? No, I don't think, no. <sighs> I mean, I feel like... They, it may have had. It may be in one of those things that they actually had maybe a few records. Yeah, it might have been a bin or something. But yeah, I, yeah, I don't. It wasn't distinctly. Their yeah. I used to buy lots of my posters there. Actually, yeah, like, like my big like wall posters. I still have like this giant Joy Division poster. It's like the you know it's like huge. I have it from there, and like a Susie and the Banshees poster. I yeah. still have all these posters. It's great because I had them stored in my mom's attic and found them when she she moved out recently. Great, I was like, Oh, here's where all the posters are. This is sick. Yeah, I have a feeling that I still have at least one West German fatigue shirt, you know, that came from Skins from yeah. that little uh, surplus department. Oh, that's great. Um, Mon. Mon! Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, where were you born and when? I was born in Philadelphia in 1974. Mm-hmm. I'm first generation. My parents were from Thailand originally, and been a hell of a life so far. <laughs> when did they come to the U.S.? I'm guessing around 68. Okay. Uh, and you have uh, siblings? I have a brother. Yeah. Older or younger? Younger. younger. Yeah. One year younger. So where, where were they? Where were you living as a young person? In Southwest Philadelphia. Yeah. And have, you, have they been consistently there for the whole time? Yeah, they're still there. Yeah. Same house? Yeah, same house. Oh, well. Yeah. So what was the neighborhood like where you grew up in? Were there other immigrants around, uh, or was it... It was originally white, a mm-hmm. white neighborhood, and then 
as the years uh, went on, there were a lot more African Americans that moved in. Mm -hmm. So I grew up listening to hip hop and <laughs> R&B music. Yeah. Um, I didn't get into punk really until I was walking down South Street and going to Tower Records, and I ran into your zine. Oh, that that was the introduction. Yeah, Jesus, Damn, I didn't know that. Girl. <laughs> so you are a very big part of my my punk life because I saw your picture in the zine and I was so awestruck and <laughs> had a crush on you I had to write to you and then we met and now we're friends yes that's great but I also remember on MySpace when there was a MySpace yeah I used to see pictures of you and Sean Castillo, and I used to be so jealous of Sean because he got to spend so much time with you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Sean, uh, we lived together for, for some time. Uh, yeah. Uh, Sean, for, for folks who may not know, uh, started off doing a Philly zine, which was done by Jesse uh, Townley, who was later in uh, Blatt's and a oh, bunch God. of uh, bands. And then um, I came into Philly zine with him, and then we did No Longer a Fanzine for a while. But Sean was someone who was also interview worth listening to because he was also a coming out in late 80s and early 90s and was very vocal about being gay punk, was friendly with Mike Bullshit in New York, who I think was a kind of an essential voice go. for that and all that. Yeah. Go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And all that. Giant train again. Um, so young, what were you, you said you were into hip-hop music. What were you, what were other things that you were enjoying kind of prior to punk, uh, you know, prior to being introduced to that world? Not much, because I, first of all, I always knew I was gay. Mm -hmm. And to be gay and the firstborn of an Asian family is very difficult because, mm -hmm. you know, there are a lot of um, pressures on that person. For example, I should have gotten married to a woman and had kids already. Mm -hmm. <laughs> no, it's not happening. Wow. Yeah. You know, there's still hope. Your, your mother might be holding out a little hope. Well, my my brother already has kids, so that's taken care of. Yeah. yeah. Um. So this probably then weighed heavily on you uh, if you knew this from a young age. Yes. That, yes. Uh, and that. So how did you go about? Uh, not only kind of coming into this on, on your own, but then eventually, I imagine, having to tell your parents this, knowing that there would be a negative reaction. Well, I only told my mom. And I told her that I was gay um, before I moved to Vietnam eight years ago, nine years ago. Oh, wow. And she did so not... Wait, so, so how old were you then? I was about, I don't know, eight, time, eight minus 44 is what? You were in your ladder, 36. the mid, middle, yeah, 30, yeah so, 30 something. So that's a long, so she had no inkling? Oh, please. They, well, <laughs> I'm sure they knew. Right. <laughs> but, but you hadn't had the discussion. Yeah. Yeah. She said she wanted to hang herself. Oh, <laughs> that wasn't very And not, nice. to tell, not to tell my dad. Jesus. So I haven't. Jeez. So does your dad think that, like, Liberace, like, oh, someday he's going to find a good woman? <laughs> I don't know. Probably. Yeah. <laughs> God. Probably. Yeah. <laughs> so you, um, you moved to Vietnam. Uh, yes, because I was engaged to be married to someone. Um, Who was Vietnamese? No, no. he Israeli-American. His parents were from Philadelphia area, and he was born in Israel. Mm -hmm. You he, meet him here in Philly? We met here in Philly off Craigslist. Right. He is a chef, and he wanted to backpack across Southeast Asia. 
And I said, if you find some place that you like, I would move there. Mm -hmm. He went to Hanoi, Vietnam, fell in love with it, and wanted to stay. So I packed up my things and moved there mm -hmm. <laughs> wow. for eight oh, years. Crazy. It was fun. I, um, we didn't get married, which is fine, but I got to meet the American ambassador and his husband. Oh, damn. Yeah, yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. At the time? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. They were very nice. Ted Osius, I think is how you say his name. And his uh, husband is Clayton Bond. They have three or four kids. Oh, wow. And they were very, very inspirational over there to yeah. be a gay couple and American and showing the Vietnamese people like being gay is fine. Yeah. yeah. How would the the well, Vietnamese people around them would how would they react to that? A lot of smiling. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's just normal. They just treated them normal. Man. Yeah. Not like not overly polite smiling, but just exactly. normal smiling. Mm -hmm. okay, yeah, good. <laughs> we had a really fun reunion in Vietnam. My my brother lives there with his wife. He's he's been there for like ten years, something like that. But mom was showing me how he was riding a motorcycle drunk and, and just <laughs> got me hooked up with a Lebanese bear. Like the whole it was it was fantastic. Mm -hmm. like, wow, it was fun. It was a lot of fun. Definitely. Now you. Uh, Prior to that, uh, I guess we'll start to move into into the '90s. You did a zine, uh, yeah. Uh, so if you want to explain what what your zine was and, uh, and that was about, that was well, my intro to you. Taking inspiration from you, Joe, I decided to write about my my gay life in a, a zine called Mafuka. What does that mean? I got the name from a character in a Anais Nin book called Delta Venus. Mm -hmm. And Mafuka in the book, spoiler alert, it's <laughs> Both a transsexual. Both in 1920, so... It's a transsexual. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. So, that kind of inspired me to to write about gay stuff. Um, I'm lucky because I got into the Rye Girl movement, too, and I was able to meet Kathleen Hanna and Bikini Kill when they came to Philly on tour. And... It was awesome. So this would have been early 90s, right? Yeah. What, 92, 93, 93. something like yeah. that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, so yours was one of the first queer punk zines that I believe I ever saw. Uh, and certainly, I think the most expressly queer punk zine coming out of Philadelphia. Does that seem yeah. correct? Uh, yeah, I'd say so, yeah. Yeah. Definitely. You had my intro to you, actually, was uh, that zine Sweet, this in light. To speak about, like, Kathleen, it's a very... To paraphrase, it's a very sweet story of like, um, mom being enamored with somebody and the unrequited are, love. Unrequited love. Guy turns out to be a jackass, um, but the ending is like because of your friendship with like like Kathleen Hand and everything. Like you're at a bikini girl show afterward, and like that that whole like it's about being in love, <laughs> like fucking song. Like she's just like yeah, like what the guy his name was like. And it's just like, oh, that's sweet. Mm. How did you come to cool. meet Kathleen Hannah? I was just waiting outside the venue and they pulled up. And 
I recognized her and I just walked up to her and said hi. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I guess that would do it. And Wait, I gave her my you, zine. And you, they, had you written to her before that or no? Okay, just total. I gave her my zine and and um, they invited me and then I invited them on a tour of Philadelphia and they took me up and we got into their van and drove all over Philadelphia. Down South Street, of course. <laughs> Did and they play Stalag? Yeah. I remember that flyer when I was in high school because I remember that making the rounds. And I remember not going, but I also remembered a really hilarious article in the Welcome Mat. The Welcome Mat. Yeah. And it was Welcome just like somebody, because like, I guess like the, somebody from the Welcome Mat tried to go to Stalag 13 and they wouldn't let them in. They were like, we won't let cameras in, all this shit. And it was just this total tirade about like, my journalist paycheck wouldn't color a leg of his leather pants and it was just like all this fuck this place like I I don't think that show was at Stalag that was at Kill Time no? I don't remember. I'm pretty it's sure it was at Kill Time, honestly. They were right next to each other. Like, like Kill Time, Fake House, and oh, Stalag wait. shows kind of blend together. It was actually at Fake House. No, was it? I remember now. Yeah, it was at Fake House because it was upstairs during the concert at one point. They asked everyone to stop jumping so much because the floor was bouncing a lot. <laughs> oh, yeah. And they were like, uh, yeah, like they asked everyone to just sit down. And of course, it was the 90s and people were used to sitting down and shows. Oh, like, yeah, backpack. So it was really cool that everybody <laughs> was just, cabbage you know, <laughs> bikinis and kills up on stage raging and oh, there's a floor full of people sitting down. It was one of those very quintessential 90s moments. Yeah, I remember <laughs> it being does sound like the 90s. Yeah. Raging band, everyone sitting down, hands full. <laughs> Wait, do you boys remember this? This is what got me, like, really, really in love with punk boys. <laughs> Bleach blonde hair. Uh-huh. Sounds great. Baggy jeans and tank tops showing off their muscles at every show, right? Yeah. <laughs> and then they would have the X on their wrist for straight edge, but yeah. I didn't know it meant straight edge at the time. I just thought it meant, like... Into hardcore sex. <laughs> Did this prove to be true? There you go. I don't know. Not, not for me. Yeah. Oh my god. Where were you getting the zine printed? Kinko's. Yeah. <laughs> there was some Where'd good. you go? Where'd you go? Uh, I, there was a weird woman who worked at a college university who uh, um, would do all the zines on the side. There was a there was like a long history of people who did zines who would go to this woman. I think I've heard of her. Yeah. Yeah, a lot of people knew. I don't remember her name at this point. It was down down near the shore. Like you would have to drive. Oh, an hour. Down, oh yeah, down the shore. Yeah, down, it was down the shore, and oh, yeah, she was at shore. some like little dinky university. She wasn't punk, but she liked money, huh. and she just did everybody's zine. Um, oh wow. Yeah, and it would take a while, and she would sometimes make mistakes, and you could never say anything to her because you'd be afraid. Oh my god, I could never get the zine printed. I used like. Hahnemann and uh, more College of Arts Xerox machines like through my mother's like library a lot. I remember like there was a lot of like there's some great Kinko scams back in the day. Like, the like, card. Like, the card like the, yeah. like the hundred thousand like I lived with Justin Durr for a period from um, like Resurrect Dead and, and Northern Liberties and all that and like he's like his zine has always been very colorful too so like when that happened he was just like like unlimited color copies from his oh, life. Man. Like it definitely like changed his medium. That changed a lot of the uh, medium for punk show flyers for quite a number of years. Oh, yeah. Because yeah. when we were doing shows at Stalag, we had access to, you know, kind of the bottomless Ginkgo's card situation, too. So uh, uh, flyers all of a sudden started being in full color at one point because I was like, why not? <laughs> yeah. I was like, oh, there's a show on a Tuesday night. I'm going to make a full color flyer. Show. That makes sense. <laughs> I anticipate almost maybe 65 paying people will come. You know, of course, you're going to 
make like a hundred color copies for a show, right? Yeah, use your dialer on the way home to uh, make some phone calls to Uruguay, because like, why not? <laughs> it works. Yeah. My other intro to Mon is like, I used to follow his band F80 around a lot. Like I had a lot of the recordings and I, would, um, I learned how to do black and white photography when I was in my early teens and I had like a, a dark room in my basement. So like a lot of times, like, I think like what a lot of people do is like before they start playing in bands and stuff like that, like they're kind of there to observe, but I always wanted to be like an active participant in the sense. So it was just like, I would go into the pit with the camera and like take photos and then come home and like develop the film in the basement and like listen to whatever demo or whatever um and then print it out like i love doing that stuff i actually just found a lot of i continuously finding film like like stuff from like riot girl conventions at act up space and like mm. brutal truth and i have like man is the bastard in there i have like tons of your bands and like i just gave you a set of like f88 style like 13. oh really cool yeah oh nice I have it in my bag. Oh, sweet. Cool, <laughs> I want to see it. So tell us a bit about uh, F80. How did this come come together? What does a band name mean? I never asked you. I was working in a medical field at the time in the dialysis, and F80 is a dialyzer. Really? It's a, huh. a model of a dialyzer. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that's so crazy. I didn't but know I like the name. <laughs> I thought it was like a jet or like a flamethrower or something like that. All this time, I'm sorry, it was like way off. It was just a kidney, wow. artificial kidney. <laughs> but I was, um, at the time, I was friends with Mike McKee, and I'm still friends with him. But same. <laughs> you know, he was straight edge at the time, and I remember breaking his edge once by giving him a beer. And he drank it. He took a sip and said, I said, oh, that's beer. He said, oh, shit. I said, what's wrong? Did you shit your pants? He said, no. And then I said, well, then there's nothing we can't handle. <laughs> but he had to start over Edge from day one again. You don't understand. Uh, and so... You broke his edge. Anyway, he was a guitarist, and he wasn't in a band anymore, and we decided... To form a band. <laughs> did. I loved her bass player. I felt like she had like such a weird Susanna. Yeah, it yeah. was like she had like almost like a no wavy, like like very like huggy bear like DNA kind of bass sound. And she played a Rickenbacker, which like I just love Rickenbacker, so just yeah. you had a Rickenbacker. You got stabbed over a Rickenbacker. I did, said, I did like... have a Rickenbacker. <laughs> you got stabbed? Yeah. Well, yeah. Uh, no, you must I, know this story. So I parted parted ways with that bass very quickly. Um so <laughs> this band I was in called the Stuntman, we were renting out a space, uh a broad and Fairmount, I guess. Uh just on the second floor of this building, someone had like a loft space and us and maybe one other band were just using it. It was basically like an apartment, but you know, we we're just using it as this, our practice space. Um, one day I'm coming out and uh, I think I had, that might have been a time when I was living at my parents' house again after I had been in the city. And then I was driving, gonna drive back home. I, I walk out down the stairs, I see these three guys kind of just look at me as they walk past and I got that double uh, <laughs> vibe. And I was like, I should just go back inside for a minute and not go outside. But I was like, oh, no, everything's cool, whatever. Mm -hmm. Walk across Broad Street, go to where my mom's car is parked. Guys come up behind me, put a knife to my neck. Say, give it up, give it up. So I'm holding but it's a my bass. <laughs> well, kind of, yeah. And I'm holding my bass and also like this bass amp head, this thing that I had that was whatever. But uh, so, you know, I drop everything. And then 
uh, like one of the guys grabs the bass. I remember them distinctly looking at the amp thing, being like, "What the hell is this?" and throwing it to the side, which is funny. <laughs> this is worthless. Yeah, like okay, I was like, "All right, it's a Fender bass man head, whatever." <laughs> um, so I didn't lose that that night. Uh, and they start like I guess they saw like a, maybe a cop nearby, so they kind of just we started walking me down the street a little bit, just like you were buddies on a walk. Yeah, 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 yeah. But of course, completely surrounded by these three guys that are you know to me felt really huge, but whatever. They had a knife. Um, and then after the cop passed, and they just kind of said, you know, I remember, I don't exactly remember what they said, but they just, the guy just stabbed me in the back real quick, and then they just started walking across the street with my base, and I was just like, fuck, you know? <laughs> What's it feel like to be stabbed? I've never been stabbed before. Uh, endorphins <laughs> kicked in pretty quick, so I didn't feel a lot, you know? Yeah. I just, I mean, I was also like 17 or 18, so uh, I don't know. Indian rubber. Right. What's that? You made out of Indian rubber then. Basically, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I wasn't as frail as I am now in my old age. So your uh, dotage. Now when yeah. I get stabbed. Yeah, oh, now it's funny. Like a mess. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, I got stabbed and just as I did my um my bandmates were coming around the corner in their car and I was just like, yeah. <laughs> and then they drove me to the hospital cuz uh, yeah. I was like, uh, yo guys, I just got stabbed. The guy stole my base. They're just like, what? <laughs> you know, so you're holding my hands like blood. It's like, oh shit. It was. It wasn't a bad. I, I mean, I, I I lucked out as far as uh, I can tell, but like. But the base was gone. The base was, was gone. not recovered. Yeah, Rickenbacker. Yeah. And you didn't die, gone. right? I didn't die. You are still alive. Like, yeah, yeah. It, I mean, I went to the hospital, and it actually wasn't a big deal. Just like a few stitches. Did a scar. Uh, there's a little scar there, but it's a tiny little thing. But it's. Uh, I mean, the thing is that like they didn't hit any organs or anything when they stabbed me, so it wasn't a big deal. Yay! So yeah. <laughs> so it was an easy one, but yeah. <laughs> Uh, going back to the zine a bit, since it was the only queer zine, coming, punk zine coming out of Philadelphia, what kind of reaction were you getting from people as you put this out into the world? Very positive, very positive reactions. Um, uh, who is the, Matt from Outpunk mm-hmm. liked it. Oh, yeah. Remember awesome. that? Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Um, he, was his the only other one? I mean, I'm sure there was more, but I don't remember. There was the Holy Tit Clamps. There was oh, uh, yeah, Larry Bob's, Larry thing. Bob's thing. I'm trying to think. There was a lot of queer scenes, but there's there's a kind of like the main. With those, I mean, there wasn't like a ton really back then. They were all kind of just starting, I guess. There was a lot of personal maybe. scenes, or there was like like who was it? Was a kill the robot or uh, he was a photography like right. Yeah, there was, uh, I don't Jason, know. Jason, I think his name was. Yeah. Like, Cryptic Slaughter, I thought it was a scene that I thought was done by a gay guy in Spokane. I might be wrong about that. Yeah, mm-hmm. Mike Bullshit did Bullshit Monthly, which I don't think had a lot of no. gay content, but, right. you know, way It was more like a just hardcore thing, right? Yeah, yeah. 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 the fanzine, but that was, like, earlier than that. So you felt like the punk scene, the, the people were responsive to yes. the zine when it was yes, yeah, yes. yeah. I love <laughs> words. I mean, <laughs> words is what got me into my career as a phone sex operator. Yeah, we should, we should talk a bit about this, because I know you've mentioned this to me I played before. a woman on the phone <laughs> for eight yeah. years. For eight years? Well, actually, for a year and a half, and then I got promoted to become a manager, mm-hmm. and then company trainer, so I was training women how to talk sexy to men. Right. This was in Philadelphia? In Philadelphia, right two blocks away from Liberty Bell. What was the company called? I can't say. Okay, but I'm sorry. Like, Does the company still exist? No. All right. I mean, yeah, is there still a world of that? I'm sure there is, but okay. I, I, w- I wish I could get back into it. I it's really probably good. a little different now with 
the way internet stuff works more. But mm-hmm. yeah, that sounds like really a fun changed job. a little bit. It was fun. I yeah. have a psychology degree from it. <laughs> <laughs> I know somebody who is a, a phone psychic who works for a company where she receives calls in and then does readings for people. Um, oh. Card readings. And she told me that she, you can also sell them on Etsy where you can just do a listing of a reading, a card mm-hmm. reading, and then the per- person buys it and they call you. I, I'm sure you can't do this with sex-related products, although there's probably some code. I mean, there's probably a whole world of things that I, that nobody knows exist unless you're, that's the thing that you want. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but you were a woman for eight years? Yeah. Yeah, that, mm-hmm. that's great. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> do people ask you, I don't really know exactly how, but do they come up with really peculiar scenarios that they want you to kind of move, move through with them doing that? Sometimes, yes. Yes. And are there, are, do they give you parameters of like if someone moves in towards something that's we not... didn't do taboo calls and taboo would be anything illegal like underage sex right, and bestiality right. And... right so you couldn't pretend to be a dog no, or no. a four year old no or a four year old dog which actually might be legal in dog because, years yeah because in dog years that might be eighteen so, yeah, but, yeah Andrew so. what do you think I think that's right yeah <laughs> I agree but with using yes. the language and and. And uh, using uh, a lot of adjectives, I could get around it. For right. example, if they wanted someone into younger people, younger girls, like a, a pedophile, right, right. I wouldn't do a pedophile call, but I would describe smooth skin, yeah, yeah, having a hairless pussy by shaving it earlier or getting it waxed, and mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. There are ways. So you work your way around it. Yeah. yeah. Men are very visual. Yeah. Yeah. That's why when you speak to a man, you use lots of adjectives. Yes. <laughs> I worked around porn for a while, actually. I worked, uh, I worked uh, inadvertently. I, um, I remember getting fired from a, a bookstore, and then I ended up working for TLA. Oh, no, before TLA, actually, where I worked at Super Street Video. And mm-hmm. uh, I was up. I remember it was like three floors of stuff. They got like regular VHS. They put me on the porn floor because they're like, you're going to be the youngest guy. I was like 17 or 18. You're going to be up on the porn floor. And tell shit. And then on the third floor, it was like men's clothing. Like, and it what was all, that it basically was like masters of the universe, like leather daddy shit. And we had oh, a lot, my boss had all these Johns. He was really sleazy. And I remember like he had uh, like once a day, this like really buff, like Puerto Rican guy would come downstairs and be like, what's up? And you're like wearing like a thong, and they're like you're like all greased up. The fucked up thing, though, and this is one of the weirdest things that ever happened to me. Like, like I eventually got tired. I was like, I don't want to work in the porn floor. This is so boring. Like, and eventually, like, like I put like Deliverance on and stuff. I was just like, just please put me downstairs. And they're fine. Like, okay, fine. Like they could put me downstairs, and I was like watching regular movies downstairs. And my uh-huh. boss was on vacation. And I remember because it was like a marble staircase that went up three floors, and there was like a a single or like maybe like a two person like one of those old gilded elevators that like you know you have like a bell hop in basically yeah. going up and these two cops came in and they were like because apparently like what had been going on upstairs is like there was like a the, like the guy was like hustling upstairs so like these cops came in and they're like hey do you know anything about the business on the third floor and then it was just like it's a clothing business and they're just like that's not what we heard and then it was just like okay well there's a staircase you know so like they went upstairs and they went upstairs to bust this guy and um they had this chase and like the there's a male cop and a female cop and like the male cop landed on the marble landing at the same time as him and there was like some sort of scuffle and basically that was the only it was like the last straw of the marble staircase and they rode it 
down it just collapsed Jesus. but this is a visual for you so you see, saw this i didn't see this i felt it because uh-huh. i was in the room and i felt i thought the elevator broke because uh-huh. who thinks a marble staircase falls down at work you know like <laughs> what, what the fuck is in this 9 11 shit yeah, you know like what? i was just like and they're just like what the fuck and then like i just because the whole building was like shaking it's like oh my fucking god and like i went to the edge where like because the, where the marble staircase would have been in there it was just this hole and the fucking sad little gilded elevator was like just hanging out and the lady cop was up there and she's like is there a way to get into your building and i was just like through the stairs or the elevator which is like just like hanging here and and she's she's just like she i'm like why she's like she's like she's ignoring me she's like i got the partner down he's like and he basically the cop wrote it all the way down into the basement and lived Wow. Under the debris. And this is a visual for you. The guy that he came to bust, who I'm assuming was probably wearing like some sort of a thing, I didn't see him, rode the staircase down and managed to hop out and tear ass into the neighborhood and just ran off. Damn. And what? then, they, uh, <laughs> then like, I called my boss up and was like, hey, like, I forget what the fuck his name was, but I was just like, so the building just collapsed partially and um, <laughs> I'm leaving right now. And he's just like, what? what, what are you gonna? And I was like, no, 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 no. I just got to like, outside you're like there's cops here the building collapsing i quit and i have not even that i was just like i was gonna go like and like but i walked out and like action news was there and i still have a recording of this <laughs> i was like i was like someone just being like do you know what happened here and it's just like like there's like like 17 year old me being like it was the thunderous collapsing noise i thought the building fell down it was awesome like i, like, <laughs> <laughs> like I used it on a demo tape at one point it's there that's so great. Oh my god. It's just weird. It's still there. Like half the building was there. Hi. <laughs> wow, that's so crazy, man. It was a weird day. Oh, wow. So I guess we'll, we'll try to converge into the 90s now. And I said to all of you, uh, part of my basic premise of the interview or the, um, the thesis, and you're all welcome to correct me if this is incorrect, but tell me from your own experience, the, the 90s, I, I think, uh, saw the full fruition of queer punk. The, the seeds had certainly been planted in punk in the 70s and 80s with, with prominent performers who mm-hmm. were queer. But the 90s, maybe coupled with ACT UP activism and with Riot Girl, had supercharged that so that the, uh, if you want to call it identity politics, or at least that queer punks were very much out front and that there would be bands comprised of uh, primarily or entirely of, of queer performers where I, I think that prior to that, that would have been exceptionally rare. rare. And it, yeah. Was, yeah, it was a subject yeah. of discussion. It was a subject that people who would come from certain more meatheadish parts of the hardcore scene were then forced to confront. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that that laid a significant groundwork for everything that, that went forward so any feelings you know, from any of you about the antecedents to that what you would have um what you would have heard prior to the 90s and then you know what you saw developing at that time the first thing that kind of comes to mind for me like as a philadelphian also was like the what the central ground point um like the act up space was oh yeah and for a lot of stuff like for all of those different subcultures because like on the on, like you go up and they're like, they, I remember like not knowing what like, I dated somebody that like lived there briefly. And I remember like, it would, like they would have like Jack's parties there. They didn't even know what that was. And then like afterward, like Man of Sebastian would play. And like also like I went to like Rag Girl conventions there. And there was like a fair amount of like political zines that were kind of coming out, like related to AIDS activism and stuff like specifically inside of that space. But like mixed in with that were like a lot of queer zines 
Um, I think I may have even found like my first issue of like MRR there, just like in a pile of stuff, like too. Like it just it seemed like a lot more. I feel like activism was like a lot more fun, specifically like AIDS related activism was a lot more silly and like it kind of embraced a lot more punk stuff because it was a lot less structured then. Like, um, I remember that band Cactus Love would do stuff there a lot and like, um, I don't know. It just like, it seemed like, like, I mean, Julie Davids had that thing where like she would play, she played bass in a bunch of different bands and like, and she the was also, in the Morphines and, right, and like right. solo stuff, but she also was very like into, like, she ran a Rye Girl convention that I actually played in Westfully at one point and um yeah so it's just like this constant intersection of like people <clears throat> starting to be visible having like being announcing that you recorded and still having a band not completely killing your band <clears throat> you know as a punk band which yeah. is weird because I mean that's, you gotta remember that's before that you know people were kind of how maybe I was talking about being gay too but like you know no one really wanted to make that the focus of their band ever because they didn't they're worried that that would be a, a deal breaker or something for a lot yeah, of people. Yeah, totally. so, uh, I mean, I, I agree with you though. The right girl stuff that was going on then was definitely, you know, inspirational to me too because it was it was just people being a lot of people being out and expressing like these ideas that I you know felt strongly connected to and no one else was doing it. There certainly wasn't some sort of male equivalent to that. Of course, you know, it was just the. The, the right girl scene was just definitely way ahead of it. But why don't you explain a little bit for, for someone who may not be as familiar with that, what, what the riot girl scene was, you know, how, how was, how was this a part of punk and in, in what way was it uh, situated within that world? I don't, I, I don't know if I could explain it. Maybe, when you you could probably do yeah, it better yeah, than me. Please. It was a group of women who were tired of going to predominantly male shows and getting pushed towards the back and not being able to enjoy themselves at the show. So they did something about it. They started bands, started writing zines and started performing. And, and um, I remember Kathleen Hanna saying, uh, all girls to the front. Absolutely, yeah. Boys to the back. Where they met with the resistance, uh, at least initially, when the, of these ideas. Oh god, yeah. Yeah, yeah. There was. I heard so much shit talking about Rag Girl back in the day. Like it was kind of like it's it was it's way less of a buzz term now, but like I think people were super, men, were specifically very dismissive about it. But a lot. I mean, like that's kind of some of the stuff that like made it kind of endearing and exciting to me as a person. It's because like the kind of dudes that like really adamantly were like fuck this shit like like i just like well, i don't want to know you anyway so like if you're definitely not going to be here then tight like you know like, yeah you know it's and i think a lot of like the radical stuff went hand in hand with like queer core stuff like there's like a lot of intersection around that like also because there were not that many bands like i know that like when you or i would set up like queer core shows like they'd be very sparsely attended i think compared <laughs> to like like even at stalag like yeah. i definitely feel like it was like like seeing like third sex and like tribe and stuff like that. Right, right. Yeah. At, at Stalag 13 and like being like, wow, this place is packed most nights. Like, what the fuck? You know, like fucking like this. You know, it, it wasn't, I feel like much now it's like more of like, this is a buzzword that will like kind of like, I know like totally straight as shit bands that are like, oh, we put queer on her thing you now because it's like something that like generates attention. And it's kind of weird to see the contrast of like people very timidly kind of like stepping out and being like, I don't know if like you're going to actually like take my band seriously if I mention this thing or if you're going to see me as a one-trick pony because right. I mentioned this one aspect of my life, you know. <clears throat> it's just like... Yeah, I mean, it's like, it, it defines you, but you also don't want it to be the only thing that defines you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, you're like, I also play in a band that's good. It's not just like, hey, here's the yeah queer pony show or whatever, you know. 
But I mean, there was also a few period where there was just like, there was nothing, to, there was no reference point to really contrast that with, so people really didn't know. So they were kind of like, just like, just being like, I'm queer and I'm playing like in a garage band or something like that. It was like this really like kind of triumphant like statement in itself. Like, but yeah. And I always like, I've had this weird thing where like, I've always been like very into, um, very into like Riot Girl. I've always played with women, mostly because I had a really hard time finding like straight men to play music with me for a very long period of time. Like I even like, there's a point in my life where I was just like, I really want to play heavy music at the same time. And like there was a point in my time where I was just like, I have to start a band with myself because like, I don't think anyone's gonna actually take what I do seriously enough. I remember people being like, oh, you're gay and you want to play grindcore? Like, what is that going to be like anal cunt, but real? Like, fucking. Okay. <laughs> 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 you used to do anything on your own from doing, being your own DM for... Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I've always been stuff. very utilitarian. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I was just like, fucking... Yeah. But, you know, and I remember starting a band with myself and then like being like... And like then it got like embraced in this kind of annoying way where people were very much like, oh, you're like like some sort of like gay, like like one-man bedroom metal group like kind of thing and people were like I like this even though I don't really care about you kind of thing and then like I added two other people like I added like a, a, a metal drummer and a classically trained violinist and people were like you fucked up your gimmick bro like kind of <laughs> shit and I'm like what gimmick what was homeless? this band called Miles of Destruction yeah, like, yeah. that was just like you know but you know it was just absurd to me people <laughs> that's you fucked up your gimmick fucked up my gimmick you know like no <laughs> contaminating it with straight you're like was I did I have a gimmick I, I don't know I guess I didn't have a choice yeah so like, you're like okay you're just calling what I do a gimmick it's, it's just what I do it's not a gimmick <laughs> uh, I want to go back just briefly to something that you mentioned a little bit of Philly history for people who might not know this uh, and Mike McKee mentions it in his interview uh, you mentioned the Philly Jacks, which I think that... Oh, good, he, he mentioned that. Okay. He, he mentioned... Well, <laughs> oh, great. He, he, me he mentioned... It's all coming together. ...doing shows at the Act Up space <laughs> and having to mop up after the Philly Jacks uh, yeah, yeah. before the show happened. So I think that it, unless someone heard that interview, now it's on you to explain, because this is a, was a Philly phenomenon. I don't it think it exists any longer. Like, I actually... This, this so is weird. What is it? Like, I never actually... I only heard Jacks parties. I never actually, like, physically saw it. Um, I remember... <laughs> Or participate. I mean, or I'd smell it, you know, like, but it would just be like, it's, because, like, ACT UP was a, there's a lot of people that were positive there, and um, I, I think a way of, like, just, like, participating in, like, a sexual activity in a way that wasn't, like, risky or, or penetrative or whatever you want to call it, like, uh, people would have, like, masturbation parties, like, and a lot of times this would precede, like, events, too, so you'd be kind of, like, waiting outside, and like, what's going on? They're like, you can go up there if you want, and, like... <laughs> You'd like stand at the bottom, think of that long metal staircase that was like a nightmare to load gear up. And uh, I remember like standing there, and just be this like, uh, uh, like kind of shit. And just being like, why does everything smell like like bleach up here? Like, <laughs> chlorinated <laughs> mushrooms. Yeah, this is weird. <laughs> um, Albo just, I think, recently lost that space too. Oh, is that right? As of like the last year. Oh like, wow. Because like my my bandmate. Um, from another project because like a, a trans man actually went to like a Jack's party and it's just like it was the last one it was really sad and it's just like wow but is that been, is, so it's been consistently going on I think so know, or it was like a potluck or something like I assume maybe maybe it's not fair. maybe <laughs> it, I assumed either, either or I was just maybe I just it could have been both yeah. like to be fair like, yeah <laughs> just, just don't come in the food yeah exactly yeah. I mean this is the whole life but yes thank you food service <laughs> chef <laughs> Yeah, it is a good. It is indicative of just like how I feel like there's a lot more intersecting with with different things and like kind of people being like, oh, like you know, like we want to nurture this thing and the thing that you're doing isn't quite the same as what we're doing, but like we can still hold the same space for it. And like, you know, there'll be cross pollination and networking within that. But 
When did Cabbage the Cabbage Collective did a lot of shows there too, right? Like that was we like, did, did a, few. A, a few, yeah, not too many. I know we did we did the Man is the Bastard uh, show yeah. there, and that was another, the Man is Bastard Aspector Four show. Or was that the same? That was like Brutal mm-hmm. Truth. I think I found oh, that. Oh, yeah, uh, and FOD. Okay. Uh, yeah, yeah Aspector Four I think was a different, a different show. show. Yeah, okay. so Aspector was one show, and then Man is the Bastard Brutal Truth FOD was another one. Damn good show. Good show. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can't remember who played with Ass Factor, but it is one of the ones that got videotaped, so it exists. Cool. Some of those things are on YouTube, or they appear and then disappear. I used to go see uh, Smash Everything Jazz Unit there a lot with Janae. Did you remember her? Janae. She's like a Hollywood actress now. She did some stuff stuff for Ink and Dagger, I think. Hmm. Um, I don't think I know her. They were a weird band. They were like kind of... uh, I remember the name. They were like one of my favorite Philly bands of all time, and like nobody... I have like a live tape of them. Of Ink and Dagger? No, no, oh, no, okay. no, uh, of uh, Smash Everything Jazz, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, which is her project. Who else was in that band? I there was a bunch of, like, there was like a whole like... horn section. It was like a jazz band. I feel like I knew somebody in that band, but I'm trying to remember who it was. Kind of like, there, I feel like there was a queer person in that band, but I'm not, don't, hmm. don't set my references on that too They hard. had that many people, there's bound to be at least one. You yeah, know. you know, it's like, it's like, I mean, there's all these band geeks, like, come yeah. on, hello. <laughs> 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 But no, they were good. They were the kind of like Nation Ulysses, like uh, John Zorney. Like it was fun. Like, and it was my first time seeing anything like. Like I kind of I, I was named after Miles Davis. Like I, like I grew up on like jazz records and like it just like so, like it was kind of an interesting. It was one of the first time I actually saw like punk and and like free jazz or whatever being intersected in like a band. And I was like, whoa, this is really weird. Like it's like my parents' music but they're really obnoxious. And, like, <laughs> like this, this is, is cool. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, so queer punk. In '90s, did you feel that um, that you were finally seeing people who were like you then performing at these events, where maybe you didn't see as much of that before, and then now here, you know, there's like you know, people who may have a similar you know life experience to you, who's you know, vocally uh, presenting that to an audience that may or may not be receptive to it. I mean, I'm sitting here with the only two fags I knew that were playing in bands. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> same, same thing. Like, yeah. like I knew lots. I knew lots and lots of, of lesbians <clears throat> that participated in queercore. I think that there was also a very strong intersection of like riot girl and queercore for that reason. Like, if you were queer and a woman and a riot girl, but you know, like, yeah, team Drush, You know, like, like kind of. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I didn't know. I didn't know a lot either. Be honest. Uh, I mean, I, I mean, I remember. I guess I don't remember exactly when I met Scott Moore, but Scott Moore ended up uh, playing in one of my other bands, Killed Man of Questions, for a little bit, and then also in uh, uh, Limprist, um, who he started out as drums and came back in later as a guitar player. So mm. that was great. And um, we, you know, I mean, he was like someone I knew that had like moved to Philly somewhat recently and was a gay person who plays music and I instantly was like oh yeah I gotta be friends with this guy you know mm-hmm. like there's so few of us like I meet the other yeah. like I meet the fourth or fifth person that's in the city that yeah. <laughs> does this yeah. also so there's just not very many people to even you know co- uh, collaborate with or whatever you want to say yeah I feel like like networking was just like like I, I met with you guys really rapidly and I think a lot of it was just like the, the classic like you need to meet my gay friend. Like, maybe you guys can do gay things together. Like, like kind of conversation yeah. that happens anyway across the board, but in punk, which is even more of a small town of population of people, like, I was just like, yeah, I know him, or I know this other person on the other side of the United States. There's only so many. It just felt like a lot more, like, discombobulated and people, like, kind of, like, deliberately wanted to make the connections. Like, 
Absolutely. Uh, between yeah. like the zine world and between bands and between just fags in general. Like. I mean, absolutely. I remember, I remember cause I, I had heard that, uh, Martine from Los Crudos who ended up being, you know, we did started Limpress together, but, uh, I had heard that he had come out at some point like on stage and just like, you know, told everyone he was gay. And I was just like, Whoa, that's crazy. Like, I mean, I love that band and that's, I, I'm shocked, you know, I had no idea. Right. And, uh, so, I mean, probably shortly after hearing from that, I probably had written to him and said like, Hey, next time you guys are in Philly, I'd love to do a show for you guys. I'm also queer and like, yeah, let's talk, whatever, you know? And probably like several, maybe like, it might've even been like six or eight months later, but he called me up and just said, Hey, yeah, we want to come do a show in Philly. And it's like, Oh wow. Cool. <laughs> and did you, know, you, did you become friends with him at, sorry, yeah, at that point? Yeah, yeah absolutely. And uh, it's crazy. I mean, that's just how, like, a year later, we were doing a band together. I mean, I didn't expect that to happen. You know? So what, what was the year that the band started? Uh, we started practicing in 98. Yeah. Uh, I'd say it's probably fall or winter of 98. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we played our first show in June 99. That was the end so, of Stalag that year, right? That was, that was, yeah. That was the last year of Stalag, too. So, and, uh, yeah, I mean, it was, it was great. But, like, I, that's how I, you know, I just heard from somebody that, there's this guy who's gay who sings in this band, and I wrote him a letter because that's what he did back then, yeah, man, you know? Yeah. And it worked. Attaching yeah. to a carrier pigeon. Yeah, I mean, it's one that's of those That's how things. I got to meet Joe. <laughs> right. I mean, I remember yeah. writing Joe letters, too, you know, about your zine back in the day. Yeah, you know? yeah definitely. And, uh, I mean, that's probably how I became friends with you. I knew, I got your zine probably at, like, a Cabbage Selective show or something like that, maybe yeah. one of your early, oh, actually, probably the first one, maybe, even, because um, I know I was at that. But, uh, yeah, I mean, just the environment that shows, like, these cab sector shows um, was definitely, there wasn't a lot of that going on at the time. And, I, I mean, I distinctly remember going to cab sector shows and seeing things about, like, you know, around the edge of the flyer, you'd have things like no uh, homophobia, no, yeah. like, all this kind of stuff. And I was really just like, oh, I, wanna, I really want to check out what this is like and what's going on there, you know? Yeah. So, that, I mean, that kind of stuff just drew me in. I was like, oh, there's some definitely some people here who are gay. Like, wow, where am I? Right, this is yeah. cool. <laughs> It's like, yeah, Sean Castillo is there. I was like, oh, crazy. Yeah. Yeah. I, never I didn't really even know Sean from the museum. Yeah, he lives in San Francisco now. Oh, okay. Yeah, he does, uh, yeah I've stuff. seen him out there. Oh, you have seen him? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, because yeah, uh, Scott's, Scott's still friends with him out there, so we'll bump into him sometimes, or he'll come to a show or something. I like saw that. Scott very randomly, like, one of the string quartet that was in, he was going to play uh, a show in a sea cave. <laughs> <laughs> in like the, in like November, like like by like the Sutra Baths, so that was just because they had like metal shows there sometimes. Yeah. Like they get like a generator and like a dude metal band will play in this weird sea cave. Whoa. And I was like, we should do that, guys. Look at the other thing. And like I didn't really take any kind of it's like it's November and it's like the Bay Area and we're playing like acoustic instruments. And I was just like this, but like basically this, all these people showed up and it was like like Matt Wilson Smith was there too. Oh, I've yeah. never met him before. And it's yeah, like, hi, we're not playing, but hi. Okay. Like, <laughs> we're selling merch on this cliff so <laughs> but it's like Scott pulled up in like a, a scooter that was like I hadn't seen him for a very long time oh yeah that's out of that in 19 years with Limpress is a you know is really an impressive run yeah, you were yeah. yeah definitely one of the most prominent queer hardcore bands that's what we were going for uh, yeah <laughs> because I think I think queer hardcore is something especially special because it's not it's not as artsy as say a queer punk thing, which seems to be a little maybe more accessible to people. But it is hardcore, you know, like mm-hmm. Go or something like that, which was unique because it was a form that was generally not associated with that. Right. So, uh, it, I guess I imagine that Los Crudos was being a popular band, and then Martin starting a new band. There's probably already 
an initial interest in what he would do next. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, that was definitely our, our aim from the start, was we just wanted to be, uh, and not be a thing, we're, we're just like, we're just out, and this is just who we are, and like, there wasn't going to be any kind of like apology, or like, oh, maybe somebody's gay, or like, someone's going to come out. It's like, show one, we're called limperists, like, you just, you all know that we're all gay already. Like, that's, that's done. We're moving past that and on to the next thing, because, you know, you know, we don't need, you don't need to have that, like, little mini hurdle in your life. You're like, okay, we've all moved past this. We're going to go do our own thing that's going to be something else. You know? was, it, was it a concept that you discussed prior to, like, actually presenting yourself to an audience that this, this is what we're going to be and this is how we're going to, uh, kind of. uh, you know, elect to present ourselves? Yeah, yeah. I mean, we didn't know exactly how it was going to go down, but, I mean, the idea was that we were just going to be sort of, you know, sort of a brutal, unapologetically gay band. You know, that was just, that was like what everyone wanted to do. Your angle with it was different than I think a lot of other bands that had preceded it though too. Because it was like, I feel like other bands would be like, like if you look at like, like Michael Terra Fears or something like that, where it's like a smaller band kind of coming out of, like it led to other bands and stuff. But it's just yeah. like, people knew pretty much everyone in that band and the Harker scene from the existing projects too so it was kind of a different it was kind of an interesting like sociological experiment too <laughs> I think in a weird way like inadvertently yeah. because it was just like like obviously like y'all wanted to play together and because you're doing a similar thing but like I, I think it was one of the first times that they had people from establishing bands like who were also queer who were like coalescing in this way so it's like yeah I think it was received in a different way and also like I mean it was just like just, slowly like the glacier melts and like social change actually happens within even within subcultures but like yeah um, I I mean honestly like you know I mean you can look at it from that perspective and I I do too but we were all in bands and like it meant that it was probably going to go over well but we didn't know that there was no guarantee that people would like come to our first show and be like oh this is great you guys are awesome you know we could also be like you guys suck and like walk out. Because we're gimmick. Yeah, yeah, right, exactly. (laughs) Like, oh, you guys don't sound exactly like I thought you might sound, so I reject you. You know, like, we had no idea how it was going to go. Like, you know, I I think our first show anyway, we only had like eight songs and I think we probably, they were about a minute long and we probably talked for five minutes between each one. You know, you get how it was going out. So like, we don't usually do that now, but, uh, you know, we had no clue what was going to happen. So, And did you find that amongst the left that people would take things very seriously and you wind up having to be in discussions about subjects, uh, you know, what, what is your opinion on this and kind of really having your, your thoughts weighed very carefully by people because the left can sometimes seem like a, a, a Maoist shame circle Absolutely, with people, yeah. you know, accusing each other for the, you know, their doctrine. Yeah, we might have, no. Yeah, yeah. I, I could see how that could have gone and maybe, maybe that would be different. If we tried to do the exact same thing starting now, mm-hmm. we probably would, you know, get the whole, the full litany of, of academic, uh, you know, <laughs> politics thrown at us. But yeah. at mm-hmm. the time, that was, there was none of that really happening. Not that it wasn't starting, but, you know, I, I mean, I never even, I, I didn't know the word cisgender when, you know, it was that that band was starting and it's definitely something I hear on a regular basis now. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but we just were being pretty silly when we started the band. I mean, at the time I was also straight edge and we were, so we were all straight edge, like all queer band for whatever that's worth. And, you know, uh, all of our song lyrics were really about like just sexualizing the other guys at punk shows, like, you know, and like 
talking about how like you know oh these you know hot guys in like tank tops at the hardcore show or like you know doing this stuff and all bumping into each other we're like this is great you know like who cares if they're straight they're straight to their knees yeah <laughs> exactly i mean we just wanted to have fun with it we're just gonna, like we're gonna like make stupid jokes about it and just be goofy as hell and whatever you know mm-hmm. and then play our music you know uh, and that's how we were doing it. And we're just yeah. like, I don't care. We'll see how it goes, whatever. <laughs> and so, so 19 years later, do you have to reassess some of the things that, that you say, or do you still take the same approach? Uh, I mean, it definitely changed over time. I think uh, after the first five years or so, making those kinds of jokes, you get a little bored with it. And you're like, all right. You know, we didn't really like actively say, God, we got to stop being so goofy. But yeah. all of us felt that. And we're just like, yeah, let's write some more serious songs. <laughs> you know, and you know, because you don't want to be a, a, a joke band kind of thing, and you know, never really felt exactly like we were, but it, it that was where we were headed. It just it was a natural progression to just all of a sudden to to want to address some more serious things about politics and social uh, interactions with people. You know, who yeah. was president at at the time of the band when band? we started? Yeah, when you started, was it Bush? Started. Yeah, H.W. Yeah. or did. Because well, H.W. was from 88 to 92, and then... Oh, so it was the Clintons. It was Clinton. The Clintons, I said. I meant the Clintons. <laughs> Just the one. Really Sorry. <laughs> the Clinton years. <laughs> the, there was something you mentioned about having more serious lyrics, and this is something I wanted to kind of address to all of you, which was... Uh, there's, a, there's a paw coming out of the door there. Uh-oh. Um Probably Sasquatch. Or something to say, all right. <laughs> uh, which was... Let's get his voice in the room. Uh, acting as role models. So, so because all of you do things that people pay attention to, you know, doing a zine, doing a band, speaking to an audience, uh, there's lots of people with brains like sponges drawing this information in. And you know, and, and I know, we've known many vulnerable people who have looked to role models to kind of show them the way through life because they may not have access to uh, resources uh, or positive voices in their lives. So I would imagine that in in doing things publicly, there's a certain amount of responsibility that you don't know who who is there to consume this thing and how it's going to affect them. So I'm asking the three of you, in thinking about presenting yourself publicly and the things that you do, do you give a consideration to younger people who may be exposed to what you're doing and the effect that it could have on them, what you're, you're saying to them. I definitely do. Um, when I was in Vietnam, I started doing a zine called Hanoi Panic. Um, and it was, for, it was a gay zine. It didn't start out as gay, but it eventually became gay when I met my BFF, Eddie. And he was from Chicago. He's a Mexican-American, and he was into uh, promoting gay culture in Chicago, and he wanted to do the same thing in Hanoi, Vietnam, so we worked on a zine together, and we were conscious of of our actions and what we were doing, and and we wanted to make sure that the Vietnamese uh, young people knew that they were not alone. Mm Because, as I said before, being gay in an Asian family, it's not easy. It's intense. So, we wanted uh, the queer people there to know that they were not alone. Mm -hmm. 
and when we were able to speak at uh, Viet Pride in front of the <clears throat> American ambassador, you know, I I was nervous, <laughs> but Eddie was very natural. <laughs> I'll show you guys later. That's awesome. Yeah. I didn't know that happened. Mm -hmm. That's cool. So yeah, I it's always on, on in my head. So would you hear from people who would who would you know be happy that you were putting this this voice out where that maybe oh yes yeah. yes yes the the zine's bilingual. Mm -hmm. um, I had my English students uh, translate for me. <laughs> you know, that's homework. That's yeah. homework. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. Um, but it was an amazing experience. And do you feel in doing that uh, at the time? Did you feel any sort of weight of responsibility that the words had a lot of meaning and were you know being transmitted into people's heads who you know, were very receptive to it, and therefore, yeah, did, did you feel it put any kind of pressure on you to? really give a lot of consideration to what you were putting out. Yes, yes. But I always remember um, reading your zine back in the day and I always remember everything that you said to me about writing zines and, and having responsibility to, to hold myself at a different standard. Um, I remember actually like when I, I sent my zine to you and I remember getting some feedback along the lines of just like um, the moments that you really shine were the ones where you were actually talking about yourself and telling your own story as opposed to a typical punk scene that's like review, 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 you know, like, like that's, and of yeah. course I didn't listen to that, but like that was good advice. So in, mm -hmm. in hindsight, thank you. Um, I have like, I have kind of weird experience with that. Like, like I, a lot of the music I've done has just kept me alive and it's just been kind of like. I'm gonna do this thing. This could infuriate you. You could really like it. I don't know. Um, I I've always been kind of politically true to myself with with things, and um, I definitely have like stood up to shitty people and lost popularity for standing up to shitty people. And I don't know, like, uh, but for the most part, it's just been like I need to keep myself alive. I don't really think so much about the audience beyond that being like, this is a really horrible, depressive feeling, and I expressed it in a really articulate way to you, and hopefully it'll resonate with the right person. And sometimes it does, um, but. I think the point that, like, I, the point I think about examples more is, like, uh, the most successful band I've actually been in. It was this, uh, this group, Disney Ballerina, that it was, a, like, a chamber music group on the West Coast. We were on the same label as Pentagram, uh, I'll tell you. <laughs> but we, we got a lot of media attention and stuff, and, like, uh, but, like, a lot of, like, metal people, like, liked our music, and a lot of, like, kind of problematic, like, black metal people, like, latched onto us. Mm. And it got to the point when I was, like, like a number of times I was like no I will not play with that fucking shitty band where the dude raped someone with a tattoo gun you know or like you're like or like stand in, in the immediate vicinity of him or like be associated with any of his projects or like I won't I had like um, Annabelle Lee from Blood Axis come after me at one point like this is like weird like Nazi like industrial project right. like well because um, I was just yeah and I was just like fuck you like fucking like but it's just like I don't regret any of those things so I, in that context I do think about it like because it's like I did watch and see um, a lot of other people kind of look the other way we're like oh this is a really cool person like you know like who gives a shit like um, you know I'll look the other way this is a shit I, like I definitely have dropped off of shows that were good shows because I'm like there's a shitty person and I don't want my shit affiliated with them you know yeah, that makes perfect sense to me. Yeah. I mean, we've 
we've been asked to play some festivals before that are very metal oriented, you know, and Limpress isn't exactly, you know, we're not a metal band and sometimes mm -hmm. we get lumped in there because you're loud, angry, fast music, whatever, and they're just like, yeah, you're in the same thing, right? It's like, eh, it's okay. well, not really. And also if the bands, you know, uh, not that we even had to do too much research on them, but like, I imagine if you're playing a festival with a lot of metal bands, maybe there's some bands that you might not have, you might not gel with entirely, so. Well, I mean, the weird thing, like punk, Punk has his own problems and stuff like that. But sure. we stepped outside of punk. Yeah. Exponentially Holy worse. Holy shit. Because, like, especially because yeah. metal in particular, I feel like it's like a 50 50. Like, there's a deep conservative region of metal, and there's like a very like liberal like thing with it. And it's like, and and sometimes it's like within the same subculture, the same, like, even like, like, like I know, like, I know, like, really, really like, like, anarchist black flag black metal people and I also know people that like are, I'm aware of people that are like you are like a low-key white supremacist and like you know yeah it was the Pacific Northwest was particularly weird with it too because like we would play like we would get invited to play like solstice gatherings and stuff like that in the woods and be like okay that sounds cool yeah we'll play in this old barn or something like that and I'm sitting I'm like Okay, why do you have a swastika tattoo? Like, I feel like it's, it's an ancient Indian symbol. Yeah, they're just like, okay, stop right there. We're going to get so our stuff. I had it stuff. way before Hitler. Uh, way before Hitler. <laughs> yeah, I had this tattoo before Hitler, so it's cool. Oh, okay, that changes everything. Okay. Uh, so I guess we'll, we'll wrap up, essentially. And uh, So I just wanted to say, in the course of the, the years that you, you gentlemen have moved through the world of underground music and all this, um, have you seen... Do you think that the world now for queer punk it has grown significantly from the time that you came into the scene, that it's a, a different world for, for that now? Yeah. Definitely, yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I feel like there's just not really even, you know, there was just, I feel like it went from nothing to something, you know, in the, you know, in the course of whatever that is, 20-some years, you know, so... Yeah. Um, and it, I mean, it's cool. It's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, in asking the question, it's almost it's almost weird because it seems like almost such of a given now that if someone were to come into this presently, it it may not be as clearly understood the dramatic metamorphosis that the thing has taken that's taken place over the oh, decades. Yeah. Where you know, to to the three of you, and you know, to, to me as well, from whatever angle I'm coming in at, to to see this is a very dramatic cultural shift. And maybe, maybe for some younger people who may not have that knowledge, it, it, it may not be something that's, that's even questioned because it's just been a part of life. But, you know, you've, right. you've seen something happen. Yeah, I mean, the internet really changed a lot of people's exposure to things too. Sure. Right? Like if you think about the way that people had to network before uh, versus like now, like young kids can put on like a last FM station and put like a tag into it and then like they'll get which is great it's, it's a very different experience than what we grew up with obviously right. but not necessarily better or worse like um, but it does it's different you know like people's exposure to it is different um, I will say that like I'm, I'm pretty stoked about like the number of like trans folks that I've either been in bands with or like I see playing in, in queer bands now um, which you didn't see as often in, in the 90s. Like, there's, I feel oh, like there's, not, yeah. there's more people of color involved. Uh, I feel like it's different. It's like, you know, and it's like I'm, I'm glad that it's different. I would be kind of depressed if, like, there was no change in what, like, <laughs> the 20 years <laughs> yeah. and 60s. They were just like, oh, same old, same old. You know, like, people were reacting the same way. Not, you know, like. But, Mon, you were in Vietnam for eight years. So, so did you see, even within that time, 
that culture becoming in any way more accepting of you know the queer members of that culture. Yes, yes, definitely. Um, it's it's still growing. It's it's a small movement, but it's still growing. I my my friend Eddie now lives in Saigon. And he says that it's even better down there. Um, Hanoi's more conservative. Uh, I didn't mind the communism communism there too much. Did you? Uh, when you came, I mean, I was there to visit for a month, so I didn't really have much besides the fact that like it was this. All know, I know is I was smoking a joint in a in a bar, and a police officer came and stood right next to me, <laughs> and I was still smoking. He didn't stop me, so. <laughs> like okay, I just can't get over like like the traffic in Vietnam is like the, the, I mean I was the traffic in Vietnam is actually my kind of traffic because I can't I still don't know how to drive a car I've been on tour like something like seventeen times and I've never actually touched the steering wheel I'm really wow. I've been hit by cars I've gone through windshields I just you know you've been but, on all the other parts of the car all the other parts of the car just not the driver's seat <laughs> like I, I took a driver's ed course and like, like and it was like I thought it was kind of a nervous breakdown but. Um, the traffic in Vietnam is just like everything goes. There's like no rule to the street. You just pay attention or you die. And that made sense to me. Like, I don't know. Right. Vietnam has very punk traffic. Yeah. <laughs> no rules. No rules. All right. So I guess we'll uh, wrap it up unless anybody has any final comments they'd like to uh, interject. No, I'm good. I'm so bummed that uh, F80 and Disux never did like a split seven inch or something. <laughs> that would have been we, sweet. We talked about that at one point. Can it be a reunion at some point? Sure. Oh, great. You did an Agent Orange cover, didn't you? Probably. I could have vaguely remembered that. Probably. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's right. Yeah, very much. That was great. Mon, if you'd like to play this interview for your father, then maybe <laughs> understand a few things about you that he didn't know before. Maybe. <laughs> uh, it's my experience. You just open the doors right open and just like make a deal. Yeah, yeah. Well, thank you all for uh, doing this. It's been great. Thank you. Thank you.